Welcome, welcome, welcome to Chromatic Distortion with Corey Caesar. And I could not pay my bail. Well, the judge couldn't pay me the time of day, and he thrown my ass in jail. Well, they gave me a nickel and a dime, and they placed them upon my eyes. For it cost much more to keep me here than it did to let me die. Oh, can you spare a nickel, brother? What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Chromatic Distortion. I'm your host, Corona-free, STD-free, completely disease-free, to my knowledge, Corey Caesar. Um, this is episode 50, Landmark, hitting that 50. Um, and first things first, it's beautiful. It's beautiful out. Um, it's two days in a row. It's, it's Wednesday right now, April 8th, I believe. Uh, yes, the 8th. And it's been like back-to-back 70s. I mean, it stormed a little bit last night, but it's beautiful out right now. The sun's, the sun's out. The birds are chirping. So I got my back patio behind me open. If you can if you can hear the birds chirping, I apologize. I don't think the mic will pick it up. But uh, if it does, I mean, I'm sure that's a welcome sign anyway. So I don't think anyone's going to be too mad about it. Um, we got big news. We got big news coming out. Bernie Sanders, the revolutionist, the guy who's leading the revolution dropped out and you're going to get to see just how uh, anti-establishment he really is by his endorsement of Joe Biden. Yep. Similar to how he endorsed and went uh, on that little campaign trail last election uh, cycle for another establishment candidate, Hillary Clinton. Now, come on. I'm sorry, guys. This is just me. But if you're up there and you're talking about you want to lead a revolution, and this is a political revolution and you want people to like really get behind you like like in mass right um you can't go in and then go in and endorse uh uh establishment candidates right after you pull out who've been who've been who you are literally revolution you guys you're you're running a revolution uh revolution against them against their policy joe biden's been uh he was a senator for like what 30 years 40 years and then the vice president for eight after that? Come on. Come on. What revolution is that? And then he's up there a lot of times on the campaign trail, even uh, uh, in these debates. To, no, I'm not going to. I don't want to talk bad about my opponents up here. It's like, why not? You can't be a. Come on. You can't say you want to be a. Rev, uh, uh, you want to lead a revolution and you won't even take a shot at somebody. Come on. It's not how it works. Now, if you want to join a, a real party that's anti establishment, the very principled and doesn't back. Uh, those establishment candidates, um, and you want a real political revolution, come join the libertarian movement, guys. We've got plenty of room for you. It, we, we're the only third party that has ballot access. Everyone keeps saying there's not a viable third party. There's a third party out there. We got we got ballot access in all 50 states. Now, I don't know if you understand how hard that is to do. As and This is why there's only two parties. You don't realize the, the requirements it takes to get even on the ballots in most states. You can't get on the ballot. Libertarian is the only other, besides Republican, Democrat, obviously, that has access on all 50 states, ballot access. Um, it's, it, it's incredibly hard to do. Libertarians have done it because we're principled. We, we stayed with it. Um, look, Bern, look um, if Bernie and the, and the De- and Democratic Socialists really want a revolution, they, they should grow their party. They should grow their party instead of trying to hijack the Democratic Party. 
The Democratic Party is not progressive like that. There are a lot of centrists. You guys aren't the same, just like libertarians aren't the same as the left or the right. We're like kind of a weird, um, we're kind of in a weird mix because in the reality is we're more alike than you think. Like social, social, democratic socialist, social democracy, people that believe in that are very similar um, to libertarians. We're actually a lot alike in many of the aspects of our philosophy. We fought along the sides of each other for a long time throughout history. Libertarians come from classical liberal uh, liberalism. That's where it that's what it's derived from. We are liberals. Um, it's actually a, ironically enough, it's a far left party in most of Europe and the rest of the world. It's only really in America, which which um, who America has this like completely skewed ideology uh, ide- ideological philosophy on the political spectrum. Does libertarians get lumped in with the right? I mean, it's just, it's just a weird, it's a weird, it's a weird dynamic that happens here. The right, the right talks about, oh, it's socialism. And, the, and then the left just screams, oh, capitalism. And it's like, none of you guys even know what that means. And you're really all in the same system. So if you're a centrist or if you're a, a basic um, establishment Republican or establishment Democrat, you're the same person. It's, it's the hard truth. And then, and then there are there's then there's some there's a, there's some progressives who are turning into be more democratic socialists, and they should start their own party. And then there's libertarians who are another party, and democratic socialists or so, people that like social democracy or or some form of that. And libertarians actually believe in a lot of the same principles and philosophies, which is something we're going to be getting into. Like I said, here here shortly when we started getting into this philosophy, you're going to see a lot of uh, you're going to see a lot of things that actually relate. But it is important to understand. Um, that the establishment right and the left though are the same. They are all corporatists. They are all crony capitalists. They both um, drown themselves in the game of allowing the financial elites to use the political system to get ahead and stay ahead. That, that's what I'm talking about. Libertarians can agree with that. Democratic socialists should agree with that. Like we can get together on these core issues that are important, um, and we can stop this because the reality is what the left, what the left and the right centrists are. They're, they're fascist. That's a fascist philosophy. And we're going to get more into that. I know I keep throwing that term out there, but it's real important to understand the difference, um, in the theories and the political theories, because you'll see the tie into that. Um, and, and if, and if you think I'm lying, like if you think that, uh, it's really the right, only the right likes, only the right likes to give these corporations and stuff, uh, big bailouts, and it's the left they're fighting for the for the little people, and it's just this this tug of war. It's like you guys are so full of shit, you don't even fucking know what's going on. What they're really doing is honey dicking you, right? They're honey dicking you, and they're throwing a little carrot out in front of you, and they're like, "Oh, look, they're fighting for me." And then in the back, and the pork, and all these pork that they're throwing in these bills, they're just giving all the money right to the the same thing the the right wants to do, which is give the money. And, and mar- the marrying of um, of business and state, big business and banks and the state, getting all together to form a fucking monopoly together against you, the people. Um, and, and that's really what's going on. Um, and, and if you think and if you think I'm lying, like I said, um, then why this, this last bill, this phase three of the coronavirus bill, right? It proves it. Um, cause why was there not one, who, there was not one protest vote except for Thomas Massey. Thomas Massey was the only person who protest voted against 
this bill and think about it. It's a $6.2 trillion bill right now. $2.2 trillion is called the CARES Act. It's for the people. It's going to the people directly. That's for the $1,200, the $500 for every dependent. That's for the small business loans even is all incorporated in that $2.2 trillion, right? So why do we have to have a $4 trillion bill tacked on top of it that goes to the banks and to the corporate interests, the big corporations, the com- corporations that have over 500 employees? Why? Think about that. And then why in the news, think about the news, they keep calling it a $2.2 trillion fucking bill. No, it wasn't. It was a $6 trillion bill. $6 trillion. Why did the why did that other four trillion on our backs, the people who are getting the two point two trillion and paying for that? Why do we have to fund four trillion also? The biggest part of the bill. And then and then the ironic part about it is uh is all the the, the left. Um they vote right with it, right? And then and you know why they and you know why they and you know why they attach it is because now you get political cover for both sides. So the left, when when um, when the left goes back and they're they're running for re-election, they get to say, "Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. We, um, we gave a bunch of money to the banks again and these big corporations, but but we fought real hard and we got it. We had to vote for it. We had to vote yes because we needed to give relief to the American people. And then when the right goes home and these fucking jokers get to go, uh, um, you know, they're running their campaigns now." They get reelected here coming up. They get to say the same thing, but opposite. They're like, "Yeah, I know we, I know we, <laughs> I know we, I know we," because the right likes the corporate. You know, they like the corporate ballot. They're not. They don't lie about it. They're upfront about it. They, they oppose the opposite part. And this is why both parties get along. In reality, there there is no difference because they're just they're pushing and playing with each other to get what they want, and then and then the um, get over on you. So the right just goes, "Yeah, I know." I know, listen, we needed to bail out all these corporations and stuff. I, I know we had to give money to people. I know we had to give welfare, which is basically what that is, right? We had to give some kind of welfare, uh, a social program to the people in this time of needs on taxpayers' money, which the right is usually against, correct? And and they get the now they get the cover of that and saying we had to give it to that, otherwise we wouldn't have been able to pass the corporate bailouts and all the corporations and banks would have fell. And then you get everyone going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they fucking, the largest transfer in the history of the world from the from the middle class and taxpayers to the rich elite just happened and everyone's screaming, yeah, awesome. Yeah, awesome. Holy shit. Holy shit. This is crazy. Um, and what's even more crazy, right? Um, that's just a down payment. According to Nancy Pelosi, they're gonna do another another bill. How much money is gonna go to corporations on that one? You got to remember, even before phase three, phase one and phase two were basically for corporations. Now, one of them was for more for medical. So I'm cool with that one, obviously. Um, I mean, come on. It's at some point, you know, I mean, this is what the system is. And if it's there, you got to use it. Um, the money's already taken from us. It might as well go to the right thing. Um, but man, so actually, you know what? Let's since we're on this topic, I guess I got way off where I really wanted to go. This episode was going to be more about like authoritarianism and um, some of the things that are going on, like the arrests that are happening and um, the policies that are putting in and the, you know, the Karens of the world out there snitching on their neighbors and shit. That's what this episode was really going to be about. But uh, um, Thomas Massey, the guy who, the only guy who voted, and you're going to be shocked at the way this vote happened in the house. 
there's no you didn't, you don't realize they didn't even have a vote on this, right? The house didn't have to go on record, and they try to pull some really slick shit here to not be on record for the, to to pass this bill. And um, Thomas Massey, in my opinion, who's the most hated man in America right now, um, was the only one who said no, and wanted to like get the vote on record, which is really what was going on there. And he did an interview, and I just I've watched it a couple times now. It's great. No bullshit, guys. This is probably the greatest interview I've seen a politician ever give in my life. And I've seen some pretty good ones. Um, it's right up there. It's got to be top two or three. No questions about it. Um, and I think it's real important. I, I think it's real important um, to open your mind on kind of how corrupt this political process really is. And and just to see how fucking, how snaky these fucking people are, dude. They're snakes. Um, and, and I know you guys are all like, well, you know, you hate private, you hate private business. You hate private citizens. Who do you think makes up our government? private fucking citizens they all suddenly become fucking these these uh righteous benevolent people once they become powerful in government it literally makes no sense you're you're like i said you're ideologically flawed in that thinking um because the government is people people run business people run government if people are shitty i i'd prefer them not be that have the like the government power at least right um so hold on let me because i got you know i got a cool setup here guys I can just pull this shit right up in, uh, right up now and play it right through my little, my little mixer. Cause I'm a, you know, cause I'm a professional. Here we go. Let me pull. Sorry guys. I, I like I said, this wasn't planned. So um, I'm gonna play this interview and it's, I think it's like 20 minutes and I'll talk about, I'll stop it every once in a while. And we'll talk about some, some shit going on. Um, here we go. Get some volume up in this bitch. All of them. Okay. So, oh, and let me just. So this is uh, Dave Smith from Part of the Problem um, who's doing this interview of Thomas Massey. And Thomas Massey is a sitting congressman from Kentucky. So keep that in mind. This guy is in, he, he's a politician right now. He is sitting in Congress and he's going to tell you how fucking crazy this system is. And it's It blew my mind, I'm not going to lie. Congressman Massey, you have been at the center of a lot of controversy. You've been pissing off the Democrats and the Republicans and the uh, the corporate press. And I have a rule of thumb. Uh, this is the, the Dave Smith rule of politics. OK, if anything is done on a bipartisan basis, it's evil. And if anyone is is uh, hated on a bipartisan basis, they're doing something courageous. So <laughs> by my rule you you are doing a very good job. Tell me what happened with this insane two plus trillion dollar stimulus bill and what it was that you did that got everybody so angry at you. George Carlin, you know, rest in peace, used to say that bipartisan is the word they use when a bigger than usual deception is being carried out. That's so so uh, you you and he see that eye to eye. So what happened here? Well, you know, the Senate passed this $2 trillion bill, and I kept waiting to find out when we were going to vote on it. We were told we'd get 24 hours notice. And what I realized Tuesday night at midnight was that uh, they were planning to have no vote. They were just going to say, hey, it passed the House. And they were going to do that by what's called unanimous consent. Now, it's easy to get unanimous consent when nobody's in the chamber. <laughs> it's like, it's you guys, you guys, I'm going to stop real quick. You guys understand what he's saying right there, right? So they were, they were going to have nobody in the chamber, just some Joe Smo, and they're going to put this, this largest bill in the history of our, in the history of the world ever. 
um, the history of mankind, the largest spending bill ever. And in the House, they're just going to say, there's some Joe Schmo who's going to fucking sit up in the in the House chamber. There's like, what, 450, 500-ish um, members of the House. And there's going to be none of them there. And all they're going to have to say is, um, do you guys consent to this bill? And as long as nobody says no, and there's obviously no one there to say no, it just it just passes. And, and no one has to be on record. Not one of these congressmen... In the in recorded history, so when they record that they none of them have to have to be on record to say they even voted for this bill. Think about how nutty that is. The biggest bill in the history of our country, and you don't even have to be you're not even on record. You're not, gonna, not even going to be in the in the history of like bills. You're not going to be on record as having voted for or against it. Think about that. It's the political cover, like we talked about a, a, a minute ago. All right, hold on. Let's get uh, let's get back in. If all, all in favor, you know, anybody object? Anyways, so that's how they were going to pass it. So I got in a car and drove through the night, um, slept for an hour at a rest stop, <laughs> got back up and kept driving, got to D.C. and uh, they said, okay, well, yeah, that is, you know, w- w- we realize that's kind of shady, so uh, we'll have a voice vote. <laughs> as if that's any better, right? And I'm, because uh, every bill passes by or, or fails on a voice vote, and then typically what happens is somebody requests the recorded vote. And they said, no, no, we're not going to have a recorded vote. In fact, they were telling members of Congress to stay home. We got this. We got this under control. $2 trillion, actually $6 trillion when you count all of it, and, you know, we're going to do the biggest spending bill in the history of mankind. I call it the biggest wealth transfer in the history of mankind. The bill, you know, if you take $6 trillion of stimulus and divide it by 100 million families, you come up with $60,000 per family. Now, the money they're proposing is a, is a $1,200 check to each working adult and $500 for every child. So, you know, you might qualify for $3,000 if you qualify. Let me just stop it real quick because I want to make a point here. This is not like some old dude telling you this. So don't think of this guy as like a a 40-year-old, you know, a 40-year politician. This is a dude who's only been in Congress for about six, seven years. He's like 40, maybe 45. He's pretty young. And the dude went to MIT. So, uh, you know, he knows his math. Fuck. But what's the problem here? There's 60,000 that's going out you know, in the name of the taxpayer, and only 3000 is going to the taxpayer. Where's that money going? It's going to the moneyed class. It's going to the shareholders on Wall Street. It's going to the bankers. It's, I mean, that's where the 95% of this money is going to go. So I'm thinking, you know, we should be on record. This is, you know, you've got one job in Congress, and that is to press the button and vote. <laughs> so what I did is I got there. I said, we should have a vote. And they said, Massey, you'll delay the whole bill you, uh, if you request a vote. And I said, why is that? They said, because we promised we'd give everybody 24 hours notice if there's going to be an actual vote. I said, well, it's Thursday and you're saying the vote's on Friday. If you would quit telling people to stay home right now and start telling them to come to Washington, D.C., there will be no delay. And they, and they were like, uh, I guess you're right. So they told people to come to Congress. And of course, that's what made me one of the most hated men in Washington, D.C. When you make people work that generally don't like to work, who like to take their paychecks, 
they were, you know, every congressman receives $174,000 a year. And if they opt to receive, they can receive this generous health care package. Now, I don't receive it. I still buy my own health care plan because I think it's hard to rail against Obamacare when the government's paying for your health care, right? <laughs> but, but most of the other congressmen don't have a problem with that. So they've got the best, they, like I've got junk insurance, you know, supposedly, but now that's like the bronze plan in, in Obamacare. But anyways, suffice it to say, their health care is paid for, they're making good money, and they don't want to come to work because they were telling me it could jeopardize their health. Meanwhile, they're- you hear about that, guys? They don't want to come to work because it'll jeopardize their health. Think about that. Telling the truckers, stay on the road, bring us our food. They're telling our farmers, get out there in the fields, grow our food. They're telling the grocery baggers, bag our food and carry it to our car, if you would, please. Right. Loaded in the car. Yet. And that's all fine and good, according to the congressman. But they don't want to have to go to work because I'm going to jeopardize their health by making them come to work. By the way, I said and I first said this on Twitter Uh, that the Constitution requires a quorum, and a quorum is half of the members, of the sitting members. Right now, we're a little shy of 435, so half is 216. And the Constitution requires, if you want to do any legislative business, you have to have 216 people there. Now, you may may think I'm exaggerating or interpreting the Constitution wrongly. Well, uh, uh, we had a quorum show up. Like when I quoted the Constitution, they said, you know what? I, he's right on that. So they came to Washington, D.C. And, um, and and I joke, I said, well, I made them come to work, but I couldn't make them work because <laughs> ultimately I requested the recorded vote like I've done dozens of times in the last seven and a half years that I've been in Congress, requested the recorded vote. And something happened that's never happened as long as I've been in Congress. They said, we're not going to take a recorded vote. Now, at that point, you hear that, guys? So he threw the Constitution out at them. They told everyone to stay at home. We're just going to do unanimous consent. Don't worry. We got this. So he gets so he gets people um, to come in because he says, we, we know, we need that. Um, you need half the members. They come. And then the first time that he's ever seen, they just don't have a recorded vote anyway. So normally you'd go to the voice vote. Only one person has to basically say no. And then, it, and then it pretty much just go, and then it goes to a, a recorded vote. And they still denied it, dude. Listen to this shit. To me. So I noted the absence of a quorum and demanded them to count as to whether there was actually a quorum there. They took like one second, like, mm, uh, you know, a quorum is present. Boom, bill is passed, right? So uh, now there's one of two things is true. Either there wasn't a quorum present and they just railroaded this thing through, or I actually think they had a quorum there. I think they had at least 216 members. If you were watching it on C-SPAN, it didn't look like 216, but they had members up in the gallery too. Those weren't tourists in the gallery. So I believe they had 216. So what does it tell you when they had enough people there to pass the bill with a recorded vote, but they still refused a recorded vote? It tells you what this was all about. The, all of their, you know, gnashing of teeth and wailing was about they didn't want to go on record. And I had a lot of people telling me they didn't go, want to go on record. I even had Nancy Pelosi tell me that she didn't want to have the recorded vote because some members weren't there 
because they were sick or their family members are sick and they decided not to travel. And I said, well, that's a fine reason. Nancy Pelosi says, well, I don't want to have a recorder vote because some of the people can't be here. It's not fair to them. Think about that. They just need to go tell the voters that's why they weren't here. Yeah, tell your she voters. said, no, we need to respect their privacy. <laughs> like, if you, like, how is it respecting somebody's privacy to, if the taxpayer can know whether they came to work that day or not? I mean, that's a problem. So, yeah. Huge problem. Um, well, because if there's, up, if there's one thing I know about your, uh, your colleagues there, they just have the utmost respect for privacy. That's right. If you see during all this nonsense, by the way, they reauthorized the Patriot Act while nobody was watching. They extended it for like 70 days with no reforms to the Patriot Act or to the FISA, the Foreign Intelligence uh, uh, Surveillance Act. They didn't reform that either. And the irony of that is that's what they used to spy on Donald Trump, candidate Trump. Um, and so you'd think there'd be some appetite in the White House for fixing that. Apparently there wasn't. They used the weapon of mass distraction, not to downplay the seriousness of this virus, but it is a distraction that allows the Congress to do a lot of things that they normally couldn't get away with, and, uh, particularly, for instance, $2 trillion of spending plus $4 trillion of printing money and buying positions, you know, bad, <laughs> bad uh, loans and things like that. Uh, so anyways, that's where we are. Uh, I, I got tweeted against by the president. He wasn't happy. By the way, I talked to him the morning of the vote. I'm not going to say how that phone call went. I'll just say it didn't go well. I, was I, 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 ju- I guessed that by the tweet. Yes. Yeah, the tweet is, was indicative, but not quite as strong as the phone call. Hmm. Uh, uh, it was indicative of what was in the phone call. By the way, before this vote happened, you, you, there's no way I think you can imagine how much arm twisting was done to me. Things that were threatened, things that were offered. I, I knew, I knew if I took this vote, it was gonna take what would have been an easy reelection and, and make it a toss up. I mean, when you, when you represent a district where Donald Trump's favorability among Republican primary voters is 96%, and that's not an exaggeration, I've polled it, uh, and, and he comes at you with some tweets and maybe more later, who knows what, uh, people, the people that say I, I was doing this to grandstand and for political purposes, like I want them to show me in what way, shape or form did this benefit me politically? It, yeah. I, I assure you it did not. Uh, so the fact that, did you hear what he said there, guys? He goes, you don't. You don't even you don't even realize how much arm twisting and threats that I was getting given by other sitting members of Congress. Like you better pass this, you better pass this bill for us. Think about that. Those other those other sitting congressmen don't work for your district. He works for a, a that's how the house works. He works for a small district in Kentucky for for an X amount of citizens. Think about that. This is the corrupt system we're, we're a part of and you think so perfect and great. And this is how we need to control everybody's lives through this process. This process that he's um, um, detailing out for you right now. This is the process you want to leave up to your life. And I, my staff said the day before the vote, they said, are you, sh-, one of my staff said, do you want to be that guy tomorrow? And I said, I definitely don't want to be that guy tomorrow. 
but I want to be that guy two years from tomorrow uh, looking back at it because I think this is also a huge mistake, this vote. Well, uh, thank you for being that guy. I mean, obviously, the, the bill ended up going through anyway, but uh, on, on behalf of the American taxpayers, I appreciate somebody being uh, uh, that guy because no one else was going to do it if you didn't. Um, when you say that you, there were uh, arm twisting and, and threats, aside from the obvious, you know, Donald Trump is going to not support you and this is going to be uh -huh. that'll make it tough to win in the district. What else? Uh, what else are we talking about? Well, you know, um, uh, Kevin McCarthy ended one of our phone calls in 58 seconds the first time he called me and he said, good luck with your election. Now, when the, when the leader of the Republican Party in the House of Representatives just randomly says, good luck with your reelection, uh, you know what that means, right? And there were, I had several people wish me luck with my reelection. <laughs> yeah. What that means is they're going to run another uh, uh, another candidate against him, some some Joe Smo that they want that they can control that they can make vote the way they want them to vote, and they're gonna and they're gonna fund them through the RNC, and they're not gonna fund Thomas Massey, so he's now gonna have to rely on just you know grassroots types of uh, donations. Think about that. So that's the system you live in. If you don't go along with us, the establishment, we're just gonna push you right out anyway. On the floor of the House, uh, because they were frankly ticked that they might have to go on the record and that they would have to show up for work. It really is. Um, the 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 government is just like anything else in in the universe. I mean, it's imagine just try to think of it, um, you know, proposing to spend t over two trillion dollars and then being mad that someone uh, suggested, uh, you know, we should we should actually like think this through and then going, but that could take 24 hours. That's you right. might have to think about this for a day. Now, that if can you, uh, from what I've been able to understand, of course, none of us, in including all of your colleagues, nobody's actually read this entire uh, bill. Maybe there's some, some staffer, some genius staffer out there who's actually sat down and read the whole thing, but we've been getting little pieces of information. What what type of stuff was actually in this bill other than the, the crummy 12 hundred bucks that they're going to send to, to some people. Well, I, I know I saw something about a, a couple hundred million dollars going to the Kennedy Center, things that don't seem very related to the coronavirus. So, so it's important, uh, it's important to point out there what he just, what he just said, Dave, what Dave Smith just asked him. He goes, none of you guys have even read this bill yet. You haven't had time. There's 1,200 pages. It literally just came to you. You're trying to do a, first of all, unanimous uh, consent within like an hour. You know, basically, basically overnight, before even anyone even sees the bill. So, how do you even know what's in it? Twelve hundred pages, right? And there's just blind faith, just blind faith. It's crazy. Well, the twelve hundred dollars. I'm not going to say it's crummy. I mean, everybody's going to like to have twelve hundred dollars. Sure, but I just meant in comparison. Oh, right, yeah. But that's the that's the cheese in the trap. Cheese in the right? trap. It's not a very big piece of cheese. I'm sure it's delicious, but the trap is socialism. And, uh, you know, just in general, bailouts are, uh, are just a bad idea because here's, here's what you're doing. You're going in and you are socializing the risks. That, that's not capitalism. Right. You're telling socializing the people risk is important. who own airlines, right? You're telling them that if you make a profit, you can keep it. But if you lose money, we're going to take care of you. Now, where does... 
where does that risk go to? It goes to the taxpayer. Now, the airlines have perfectly good business models when this is all over and even before this is over. And even now people are getting on airplanes, but eventually their business will return to normal. It's not like we're going to not fly airplanes after this. And um, their business will get back to normal. And they, you know, they may have to borrow some money or, oh, heaven forbid, they may have to sell some shares and let some other people in on their future profits. Like that's what this is about. They want, they don't want to dilute their ownership of the company because that's ownership, like stock ownership is is an agreement about what are your shares of future profits, not how much of what was made in the past do you get. That's already been distributed. So, anyways, that's that's an example of of just generally a lot of the bad things that are in this bill um, is that they they tend to. Take, and, and they're going to take care of mostly, I say, the people on Wall Street and the banks. Now, Nancy Pelosi is saying, now she got like the $25 million for the Kennedy Center. And then, all right, I need you guys to really pay attention to this right now. He's going to explain how much little shits can possibly be in this bill. They proceeded to lay everybody off after they got their money or something. I haven't, haven't really followed that. I mean, uh, $25 million. It's one hundredth, one hundred thousandth of this bill. Okay, like let's talk about what a trillion is. A trillion is a million millions. So if there if there are a million dollars going here or there in this bill, you could have a million of those earmarks, a million earmarks for a million dollars, and it would still only be half of what this bill is. So I'm sure we're going to find more than one earmark in here. Uh, and 25 million, not to not to pass it off, is just a drop in the bucket. And that's what Nancy Pelosi says. She says that this two trillion dollar bill is just a down payment. I'm, I'm not even exaggerating. Those are literally her words. And if you listen to the four hour debate, that that's what they're promising is that the the fourth Corona bill. By the way, I voted for the first Corona bill because it went after the virus, right? It wasn't using the virus as an excuse to bail out some companies that were already sort of on shaky ground or in front of their skis. And, and later, I'd like to talk about what I think this bill should have been instead of what this bill was. But going forward, they're planning a fourth bill. And can you imagine if I hadn't insisted upon everybody coming to work to pass the third bill, what kind of leverage Nancy Pelosi would have a month from now. It's going to be harder to travel. There will be more congressmen who are ill from this uh, virus. And if nobody had stood up against the third bill, there's no way you can stand up against Nancy Pelosi's fourth bill because all the arguments for staying home just get stronger a month from now. And so that's why people say, why did you go light yourself on fire? You know, you, that was political suicide, and I, and I love you, but that wasn't very smart. I say, look, there's a strategy here, and I'm looking at the long term. And if we're going to have any leverage, and by the way, I think I increased Donald Trump's leverage against Nancy Pelosi. It's like if she has to haul a, a majority of Democrats into the chamber to pass her bill instead of passing it by unanimous consent with nobody there, that's going to make it harder for her to push the agenda. Yeah, no, I, I certainly I can understand that uh, that argument. I, I I gotta say, I mean, I'm I'm you know beyond the point of I, I think being able to be disappointed uh, 
in Congress <laughs> or, or right. the presidency at this point. But there was something about watching Donald Trump when he signed the bill into law and he's surrounded there by a bunch of Republicans, you know, Mike Pence and, and, and uh, you know, and others. Um, and, you know, they're all just ecstatic that they look, this is the biggest bill ever. That's how they're yeah, talking. Right. Look, this is the biggest stimulus bill ever. And it is like, man, these Republicans who talked a nice game. I mean, Mitch McConnell's there. I remember what Mitch McConnell was saying during the Obama years about runaway government and these record yeah. high deficits. And everybody just seems to to like thrilled, like any any pretense of limited government principles have gone right out of the window. It's really unbelievable how quickly uh, you know, an emergency situation. And like you, I think it's a real emergency. I, I don't think it's it's made up. This is a real nasty virus and, and yeah. it's very dangerous. Um, but the the fact that the, the first reaction is like, well, let's just loot the American people, rob the taxpayers to, to you know, pay off every special corporate interest that we like. And, and you know, you work with these people, so you know better than me. How, are, how is there nobody with any principles around who go, we at least, at least need to look through this thing? <laughs> I had, actually, there were people who voted for the bill who told me, I agree with you, Thomas, that we need to go on record. Like, it shouldn't, it really does set a bad precedent if you're going to pass a $2 trillion bill and nobody is going to be accountable or culpable for the effects of that. Now, I didn't watch the bill signing. I can say that it happened on time, right? I was the, Half the world was hating me because they said I was delaying this. And that was just a, a narrative that Nancy Pelosi and Kevin McCarthy were putting out there to say, oh, it will delay it if we do it the constitutional way, right? And I'm like, no, number one, you have to do it the constitutional way. If we throw the constitution out the window for one virus, I mean, we're in big trouble. Uh, so, and number two, it doesn't slow it down. By the way, they had a four-hour debate. They're saying that I was grandstanding, right? They took a four-hour debate. I asked for, to be recognized for one minute, okay? You know what they told me? No. They said, well, we'll put you on the waiting list. We'll put you right at the top of the waiting list. They said, because all these other people expressed an interest in speaking before you did, so you're not on this list. And I'm thinking... Wait, I'm the only one who expressed an interest <laughs> in not passing this like that way. Anyway, think about that. They didn't even let this guy talk. So he's the one that brought them all in. He's the one that made them even attempt like this voice, this voice vote, right? Which never, which never passes, but then passed somehow. So they required to have this four hour debate now on the bill. And they get up there and they just grandstand the whole time and they're, they're complaining he's grandstanding for making them do this and they don't even allow this dude to talk. They don't even give him one minute to get on record. Think about this system. These benevolent people that you want to worship. They're just going to save us, guys. They're so, oh, they're just so pure and good and they just got your best interest all the time. Ooh. They're, they're actually, and by the way, there were, uh, there were some other people in this fight that, that thought that this was a bad bill and thought that there should be a vote on it. Ken Buck was uh, supportive. Alex Mooney was supportive. And uh, Justin Amash was supportive. And there, were, and there were a couple others that I'm leaving out. They're probably okay with me leaving them out. <laughs> but 
But when the vote was, when they asked for the yays and nays and they, and everybody yelled yay. And then people yelled nay. I wasn't the only one yelling nay. And then at the bill signing, getting back to the bill signing, I didn't watch it, but I was told that the, the president said, so we got uh, nine, this bill passed 96 to nothing in the Senate. And he asked Kevin McCarthy, what was the vote over in the House? And Kevin was like, well, the, it, was, it was a voice vote. And, um, and, and so Trump said, oh, so it's like the Senate. There, there were no no's. Stupid, and and Kevin was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways. Pulling the wool over I your mean, eyes, dude. Just totally whitewashing history as if like the whole world wasn't hating on me for being a no, right? As if I didn't like do everything I could to register my no in the record of history. And um, no, they just did the bill signing and said, nope, no dissension, great bill. What a best bill ever, huge, <laughs> huge. wonderful bill. Yeah, um, well, if it, if it does uh, give you any comfort, <laughs> I'll say that it, at least in my experience, um, with, uh, you know, I'm, I'm only 36, but I've lived through a few of these government emergencies, nothing quite like what we're going through right now, but it's always this rush to fall in line during the emergency and people who, who don't fall in line are demonized. But when you look back at it later, a lot of times it's those ones who didn't fall in line who end up having the last laugh. And I, I think about, um, you know, the war in Iraq being an obvious example. And man, you know, I'm, I don't agree with Bernie Sanders on a whole lot, but he gets to throw that in everybody's face now, Joe Biden included, and say, I voted against that war. And he's absolutely right. He deserves to be able to do that. And people like Ron Paul and people who, you know, stood up and voted against that war, they have a right now to brag about that. And I think a lot yeah. of people, if they did oppose the banker bailouts, they could they could brag about that. The 08 banker bailouts, not this yeah. most recent round. But I think going forward, I think history is going to be kind uh, to you for. I, uh, so. I think it's going to become obvious when here's like what happened in 2008 was that they were like, oh, we have to bail out the economy. We need all this stuff. And then as five, six, seven years later, the entire, you know, like uh, uh, middle of the country still had seen no economic recovery. All of a sudden, those measures look pretty bad. And then we ended up getting Donald Trump as a big middle finger to the whole system. Um, I have no doubt that this is going to this is going to lead to another disastrous economy, which will take years and years for regular people to see any benefit because we're going to stimulate out of it the same way. Record high government spending, record low. Uh, artificially low interest rates. Hold on. So I wanted to ask you, because you indicated this earlier, what you thought the like a proper role or at least yeah. a more reasonable response would have been. Yeah. And, and um, before I say that, let me tell you, Jimmy Duncan, uh, I served with him for at least four years. We overlapped. He was the last Republican in Congress who voted against the Iraq war. And so on, on more than one occasion, he and I talked about what that vote was like. Listen to this carefully. And, you know, because they were saying weapons of mass destruction, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, I, he, he told me he got disinvited from a church, like wow. from a in church. his district. That's how difficult it was for him on that vote and how much backlash he got. He said it was the worst vote he took in the moment, you know, politically. But he, but he said, now it's the best vote in my career, looking back on it. So uh, I take some comfort in, you know, in talking to the people who've taken unpopular stands. People say, should you vote your conscience or should you vote what your constituents want? 
And I think it's my job to try and figure out what my constituents are going to want, not just today out of this bill, but two years from now or 10 years from now. Is this good for, for constituents or not? So that was the test I applied. Now, what would, what would a proper bill do? Okay, the, the government it, here in Kentucky has overreacted. Now, in, in New York, I, I don't know if it's the appropriate level of reaction or not, so I'm not gonna judge there. But here in Kentucky, they've, they've literally shut just pretty much everything down. And so people have been put out of jobs. So I think it's fair to extend um, unemployment insurance, for instance. But what we really need to do, this is a war on a virus, not, you know, if, if you got attacked and your country was under attack and you were in a war, would your first instinct be to try to save your economy or should you fight the people who are fighting you, right? Shouldn't you defend your country from the attack? Well, the attack here is a virus, okay? So instead of spending $2 trillion propping up our economy and frankly bailing out people who had were over leveraged anyway why don't we spend like mm, you know a few billion fighting the virus okay here's what i would do and i've done some calculations the one of the MIT things the white guys, house remember, has been smart. wrong about and consistently wrong and eventually they'll change their story uh, is that we don't want everybody tested that's a horse pocky Okay, the only way you figure out who's spreading the virus and who isn't is to figure out who's got it, right? And, the, and we, so what we need are two types of tests. We need a test that shows whether you have it or not. You're probably gonna have to take that one more than once, right? Because just because you don't have it doesn't mean you won't ever get it. And we need the other test that says whether you've had it and, that's, and getting over it has conferred some immunity on you and that you should be able to go back to work. We need to sort all these folks out and folks should be able to sort themselves out and you shouldn't have to be a politician or a celebrity to get one of these tests if you want the test. If the test costs $100, to give it to 350 million people would cost $35 billion. That's it. That's one half of a percent of this stimulus that just passed one last week. One half of a right? percent. It's a $6 trillion stimulus. Uh, 35 billion is one half of a percent. One half a percent. We could test, even if the test cost $100, guys, every American could get tested for $35 billion, yet we just passed a, a bill for $6 trillion, which is one half of 1% of that entire bill, and you still didn't get a test. That's your Congress. Of that, okay? So... Let's let's keep our wits about us here. Uh, and and by the way, if you ordered thirty five million tests, they wouldn't be a hundred dollars. Like if if somebody's going to get them down to ten dollars, and you can buy a six pack on Amazon, right? So you could take one. Your employer would give it to you when you came to work, just because their liability is worth sure. paying for that test, right? They don't want other employees to get sick or the customers that come to your work if you're in retail. So in any case, let's quit this bullpucky that <laughs> bull we don't want everyone yeah. tested. We want as many tests as we can get. So we should have like a Manhattan Project type effort on this, right? So let's go to war with the virus, okay? <clears throat> and um, the other thing, quit telling people that an N95 mask only works if it's on a doctor or a nurse. Okay, <laughs> number one. Now remember that, guys. So, you know, whenever, and I, and I kind of like, 
I don't know, Dr. Fauci, dude, he, he's a little authoritarian for me, but he gives some good information. I really like Dr. Burke. She's my favorite by far in the task force. Um, she gives the data and the stats out. Um, but remember, your government, right? First of all, they, they failed you on getting the tests out to begin with. Horrible. Uh, um, they, they, uh, they, <laughs> the, first te- the first person tested positive for corona was in Washington, and it was by a, it was by a private company who just said fuck you to the um, FDA because they wouldn't approve them to allow the user test, and they couldn't get a test from, um, from the CDC or the government because their, their test wasn't there, and it was faulty. And then it took months and months before they even got a faulty test started shipping out before they finally let the, the private sector um, um, open it. So they, so not only did that, not only did they fail you there, but they told you that a mask wouldn't work multiple times. These doctors told you a mask wouldn't work. You know a mask works. Get out of here. Come on. One, they're talking about, oh, well, we know how to wear them and people don't know how to wear them. Look. I use them in the wood shop. I use them on the farm when I'm bailing hay. You're too like, stupid I, we've to wear a mask. painted stuff and you wear a mask when you paint stuff. Like everybody has used one of these at one point in their life. N95 means it's 95% effective, right? So if you don't get a good fit and you're wearing an N95, it might be an N80, okay? But an N80 is better than an N0. So <laughs> let's, let's, Come on, guys. Uh, let's be honest with people. And let's say, look, these are scarce right now. And until we uh, overcome the scarcity, we need to make sure that doctors and nurses and first responders have them before everybody else gets them. I, that's the truth, right? Tell Americans the truth and then say, and we are undertaking this immense project to make sure that everybody can have a mask and not one that, you know, everybody can have several masks. You don't have to wear this thing for six months, okay? You're gonna get pretty mangy after a while. Yeah, uh, it's gonna have a lot of Rona. On the gonna mask have a lot of Rona too. on the mask. Uh, so, anyways, let's do the mask. The ventilators. Instead of going in and pounding your fist and telling GM when they tell you they can make like six thousand ventilators a week and saying that's not good enough, I'm taking over your company because I think you should give me thirty thousand ventilators a week, right? That is not going to work. What? Who's going to run that? Mick Mulvaney or Steve Mnuchin? Like, who's going to run General Motors when you take over? And are they going to be, or are you going to let the CEO stay in place and you're just going to be like a middle manager and show up and like try to design assembly lines? That ain't going to work. Of course it's not going to work. Let's let's set up like an X prize, okay, or something. Let's guarantee people if they can solve this problem and produce these ventilators that there's going to be a profit in it for them. Okay, I know that's a dirty word, but that will motivate them far more than walking into the factory and putting a gun to somebody's head and say, quit making cars and start making these. Uh, But those are the sort of things like a Manhattan project, a type scale project with so many scientists and engineers working on the problem. Let's declare war on the virus. Let's don't declare a war on the dollar. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, war on the dollar and a war on the taxpayer seems yeah. to uh, be the response so far. And I would just say that um, you know I think I think you I think what you did was heroic, and I really appreciate you uh, uh, standing up for the taxpayer, the Constitution, and just uh, sanity. Um, and uh, you know I think about my uh, my good friend uh, Judge Andrew Napolitano, 
And uh, Trump was Trump was saying every nasty thing in the world about him when he was saying that Trump could be impeached. But then as soon as he turned around and he was like, hey, you know, Roger Stone is really getting railroaded. You know, he just stuck to his principles the whole time. But as soon as he said something Trump liked, uh, Trump was yeah. praising him again. So oh. as soon as as soon as you, you know, Trump, you know, says he wants to end a war and you defend him or something like that, he'll be he'll be back Which on I've your done. side. Yes, Which no, I've I know. Done. I've defended him. Like I, I defended him during the impeachment. I was on the oversight committee. I've defended Wilbur Ross. I've defended um, a, a lot, all the people that work for the president. And um, but you know, one little deviation. And, and by the way, uh, Mark Meadows, I, who's Trump's chief of staff. I don't know if you remember. Trump said he was going to come after Mark when Mark didn't vote for the health care bill, which was a big scam. By the way, thank goodness we didn't pass that. That was going to replace mandates, penalties, bail, bailouts, and subsidies with mandates, penalties, bailouts, and <laughs> subsidies, right? We just had a different name for everything. And the, and the, anyways, it was a horrible bill. Mark Meadows voted against it, and the president said, I'm coming after you, and he was coming after a lot of the Freedom Caucus. <laughs> and now they're his, his best buddies, and one of them is chief of staff. And just, just a shout-out to Judge Andrew Napolitano. There's a guy, you know, and I don't— uh, Judge Napolitano and I don't always agree, but we, I mean, we probably agree 95% of the time. And uh, he sent me an email uh, when I was getting hammered Friday. And I, I'm, I'm going to print it out and frame it in my house, not my office. I don't want to show it off. I, it brings me comfort. And I'm, I'm glad that he was sticking up for me during this. Yeah. Well, listen, I actually disagreed with uh, uh, Judge Napolitano about the impeachment. Uh, I hearing. do, too. But, but do you know, too. he's he's a brilliant guy and he's principled and he says what he means. And um, that'll that'll get you in trouble with somebody who just wants you to fall in line all the time. But, you know, just so you know, uh, a lot of us out there really appreciate what you did. Um, I would love to uh, uh, to talk to you again sometime uh, when, when this whole thing shakes out more. And I have a feeling that people who are. Uh, People who fight for liberty are going to have a lot to fight for in the coming years as we are yeah. really going to live through the era of bailouts, big government, and uh, crackdowns on civil liberties. I thought we were already in that era, but it turns out it's it's ramping up. So uh, keep keep fighting the good fight, sir, and I really appreciate you spending some time with us. Thank you. And, and by the way, I am taking this virus seriously. Uh, I voted for the first bill because it went after the virus, not the taxpayer. And um, I think social distancing is, is a good idea. I, I think self-isolation, and you know, if you're in an uh, area where it's, it's spreading rapidly, that's a good idea. But when you do those at the point of a gun, that's tyranny. And we were, we were looking at images from China just a few months ago saying, how could they do that? How could they close churches? How, could, you know, how can a government have that much power? And that's what we're seeing here, and it, and it disturbs me. So let's find the happy medium. And let's let's do this stuff voluntarily, and let's let's instead of bailing out big companies here during these hard times, let's incentivize people to to fight the virus. Amen. Uh, God bless you, Congressman Massey. Uh, uh, thank you again, and uh, hopefully we'll we'll do this again sometime soon. Thanks. All right, guys, that's it. Uh, that was the interview, man. How crazy is that shit? Thomas Massey. Not all heroes wear capes. Now uh, that was like I said, this wasn't gonna be the this wasn't gonna be this episode. So hopefully that came out all right. Um, we're gonna be doing these every couple days, man. Every three four days, I'm gonna have a little topic for you, just shooting the shit. Um, this one was way longer than I was expecting it to be. Um, all right, I'm gonna leave, I'm gonna leave it there. We'll be back in a couple days with that uh with that authoritarianism. 
um, that we're seeing. It's going to be good. You're going to like that one. Some stories and shit. Um, all right. So stay tuned for the content. Tell your friends. Share the episodes. Speak the truth. Promote liberty. Buck the establishment. And don't kiss your mother. Catch you on the flip side. You have just witnessed the lyrical stylistics of chromatic distortion. Just to get a little bottle of pills Cause the man on the television told me There's a cure for all my ills Well, I walked on up to the counter And I told him what I had Now he said, you ain't got no money You can't afford to be feel so bad Oh, can you spare a nickel, brother? Can you spare a dime? Need a couple more dollars now Just to get me on down the line Hey there, how you doing, ask the folks? I tell them all the same thing, old, black, and broken. They think that's a joke, but I ain't playing. It's a whole lot of truth to what I'm saying. See, my bones crack when I'm so pro-black, and I got so many bills, and they ain't those stacks. Hey there, Kojak, sucking on your lollipop. Think I can get a ride over to the trolley stop? I just left one job. I'm trying to hit the next one. Doing what I can do so I can get the check, son. You can keep the weed and dank and max. I'm trying to get bold and green in my bank account, so I... Turn up the tempo, hit the studio in full rock chem mode. Plus, I'm trying to stay out of the court, cause my ex-wife got me for the child support. Well, I went down to the bodega, just to get a little Mountain Dew. When I opened up my wallet, there was nothing but I owe you. Well, I told my situation, I asked him, what do you got for me? He said, I got this knuckle sandwich, and I'll give it to you for free. Oh, can you spare a nickel, brother? Red dirt out to red hook. I've been rocking mics since before there was a fed book. The left hook, the reason why your man got his head shook. From the PJs with you sip and get your bread took. Concrete floors made it chilly when the sun down. Somehow we all made it out from the rundown. Proper plan for getting getting played for a dumb clown. Took the last travel road standing out amongst crowds. Old head with the fire of a jit. Moheads, you can tell they a liar when they spit. Ball heads on one plex with the lion in his kit. All set is really nothing if you climb with the fifth, huh? I'm cooking cast iron in the pit. Your bread ain't really thick if all you buying is a fit. I cut it up in sections, then I fry them till it's crisp. It sees a little, little more than required for the fix. Well, I could not pay my ticket, and I could not pay my bail. Well, the judge couldn't pay me the time of day, and he throwed my ass in jail. Well, they gave me a nickel and a dime, and they placed them upon my eyes. For it cost much more to keep me here than it did to let me die. Oh, can you spare a nickel? 